0: and we lift your we're thankful and grateful for you sending your son and for the the yearly reminder as we worship you and we remember the true meaning of Christmas is Christ and we come and we worship you God thank you for sending Christ thank you for sending your son to be born a human the God the creator of the world of the universe of all came as a baby Dependent, needy, cold and hungry. And humbled himself, Lord, for us. So that our sins could be paid for. So that our guilt could be removed. We worship you today, Lord, because of that. Thank you so much, God. We ask you would be with us in all that we say and do. We pray that you would help us to honor you. Give you praise and glory through all of the things that are a part of this worship service today. God, we pray for those who might not know you that are here, who might know who you are, but they don't know you in a way that is forgiving and loving and adopted relationship with you. We pray that you'd call them to you today in a way they couldn't ignore, that they would hear your voice, that they would hear you calling them, and that they would bow down and they would give their lives to you, that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we pray that this would be a day of great rejoicing that sinners have been saved. We pray these things, God, only because of Christ and through his name. Amen.
1: For Jamie, our sister Jamie Dixon, who put that all together for us and led these kids, and we're thankful to these kids for performing for us. Can we just give them another round of applause? It's a really special treat. Let's stand to our feet and sing one more time. This is uh, the time when, uh, oh, this is not this is not that time yet. <laughs> we're just we're just continuing to worship right now. That's what this is. Let's sing rejoice.
2: pray. God's
1: people said. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated.
3: My privilege to help lead us in corporate prayer this morning. Uh, we have two times of corporate prayer, one every Wednesday at um, 615. We'd love for you to join us at that. That's been a wonderful time of sharing and focusing on the needs of our heritage family as well as the great cause of the gospel through missions. But this morning, we're going to be focusing our attention on two brothers who are fearfully and dangerously ill with brain tumors. Most of you know who I'm speaking of. One is a, a former member of our church who's moved, namely Wesley Carrick, grew up in this church. The other is our friend Brad Leith. Some of you know Brad, many of you do. Um, he is, Wesley is here. Thank you for pointing that out. Wesley, just stand up one second. I want everybody to see you. Okay. He's tall. Thank you, Wesley. Um, You look at Wesley and you think, there's nothing wrong with him. Well, he's had brain surgery. And the prognosis is fearful. But it's not fearful for people of faith because God can heal. And he always does what is right. Always. I think a few weeks ago I mentioned the three attributes of God that most comfort me during these times of crisis, whatever crisis it may be for anyone, is that he loves us, He knows everything that needs to be known. He's all-powerful. And if we can live in the love of God and rest on the knowledge of God and the power of God and the sovereignty of God, we're in a good place. I was mentioning Brad Leith. He's the son-in-law of Bill and Joe Barron. He is actually Justin Klein's boss. They're very, very close, the two of them. And I've asked that we focus on these two brothers And I've asked uh, Jim Golley to lead us first as we pray for Wesley and Justin to lead us in prayer secondly as we pray for Brad. And then complete change of subject, um, we're going to take a moment to give thanks to the Lord for these two new pastors we have and in anticipation of a week from today when they will be ordained. What a joyous occasion. It will be for us to recognize the gifts that Christ has given to the church in addition to our present eldership. So those three brothers are going to be leading us in this time of prayer. So let's begin then, and we'll focus on these two men who desperately need the healing touch of God.
4: mega, as we sang, as the children sang this morning, we're thankful that you are the God who heals us when we're sick, when we get well. It's because of you. And we thank you that you not only uh, heal physically so often, but by your stripes, we have been healed spiritually. And we thank you that you've done the greater work in Wes's heart and his family. What a blessing that a whole family is looking to the king to do what pleases him. And thank you that we don't have to figure it out. You know the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. You know it all, Lord. You know what is best. We come asking that you would heal him in the smaller way, physically. We ask that you would touch his, his brain, that you would bless these treatments that he's undergoing, that he would have no ill effects from it, but only for his good, that you'd make every cell in his brain well. Thank you that you are able to do this. We come trembling and trusting. We come weak, but we're thankful that we come to the mighty one who's able to do it. So we ask the Lord, would you be pleased to make Wesley whole? Thank you for the 28 years that he's been alive. We trust that you'll give him 28 and multiply it over many times. We want to ask that you'd keep their family at peace as their mind rest upon you. May you give them great hope, great confidence in your everlasting love for them. May their faith increase through these trials. May Wes be all the more strengthened as he looks to you and trusts in your word, your promises. Thank you that you will do for him only good all of his days and for his family and for our church body. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus again. Amen.
5: As a congregation, though everybody in here may not know Brad Leith, and we give you thanks for his life because he we know that he loves you and he truly is a a choice servant of yours. You've used him already in his his life in so many ways. Affected so many in campus ministries with ministries that he's started and led and uh, also in the way that he runs his business. And so we thank you Lord for what you've done with him and Lord, we we pray that you would continue to use him and that you'd give him many more years of usefulness. And we look around and we see there are so many fathers out there that don't even care to be around and to raise their children, let alone in a, in a, to, to bring them up in the Lord. And the first thing that Brad will say is that in all of this, in this trial, he wants his children know you and to be vessels to be used by you. And nobody just says that apart from your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would answer the desires of his heart. You bring his children into the kingdom yes, if they're God. not already there. Amen. Especially for the younger ones. Pray that you would give wisdom to Brad and Cody as they communicate to their children the severity of the situation but also their hope that they have in you and we pray that um, you would continue to use them in this season they view it as a season that you've called them to and they've embraced it yes by your grace once again and so we pray lord that you would use them and their testimony uh, in mighty ways i know that that's what brad wants most and So, we, Lord, may you may you please do that, and um, we ask, Lord, that that you would do uh, a miracle just like for Wesley. Yes, we know both of these brothers love you, and and their desire is is that you would be um, glorified and made known, and that that souls will be saved through their trial. And uh, but, Lord, we pray for a miraculous healing for both of these brothers. Amen. Amen. We know that you can do it, and um, you've created them, and um, you can just simply touch them and heal them. You could say the word, and we ask for that, Lord. We want to see it. Yes, we want to see your name raised up. um, So we are we are pleading with you, Lord. May you do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
6: Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And in a particular sense, you are the giver of gifts to your church. And not the least of those gifts, the gifts are many, but not the least of those gifts is the gift of shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers. Thank you that you have so designed and ordered your church that we have those who speak the word of Christ to us. There are those who lead us and guide us and give us counsel and help and direction and who declare the mind and will of God through the pages of your own holy word to us. And we're grateful on this occasion for these two new under-shepherds that you've given to the church. Thank you for Keith Withrow. Thank you for Thad Gunderson. And we pray your special blessing on these two men. As they undertake the awesome, weighty, joyful, delightful, immense responsibilities of giving leadership and oversight to the church of Jesus Christ that meets in this place. And we pray that you would give to these two men and to our three current pastors, give, give to them a spirit of unity. Give them all the grace of humility. May they love one another especially as they work out their love for the body of Jesus Christ. Will you keep these men from division? Will you keep them from pride and arrogance? Will you keep them from thinking that their own individual way is the best? Will you give them large hearts of love for one another and love for the body, all of which are fueled by their supreme love for you? And so, as we look forward to their ordination next Sunday, may that occasion be a glorious one. May it be delightful for all of us. May it be full of joy and and wonder and amazement that you should be so good to us to bless our eldership with two new men. May it bring honor to you. May it fill our two new elders with a sense, a right sense of fear, the fear of God. It filled them with a sense of joy and delight and a sense of privilege in what it means to serve you in this capacity. And so will you help them and will you bless them? And will, you do, will you do good to our body? And will you get glory to your own great name? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
3: In just a moment, we're going to sing together a, a, a wonderful request that we ask of Jesus himself. It's come thou long expected Jesus. There was a time when that prayer focused on his first coming. But now we can think of his second coming. And we long for that as well. And know this, that he will not come back until the gospel is preached to the whole world, to every family of people. And with that in mind I want to remind you that while we sing that song we worship not only in praying that he will come but we worship in giving for the cause of the gospel and I remind you of the words of Paul to the Corinthians he says we want you to know brothers we want you to know brothers and sisters at Heritage about the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's a strange thing. Wealth of generosity came out of extreme poverty. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will begging us earnestly for a favor of taking part in such an offering. It's our privilege to do this every week. So please realize and recognize that as the offering plate is passed, it's not just something we do, it's a part of our worship. It's our giving back to God, a portion of what, all of which belongs to him, for the cause, for the cause of the gospel and for the hastening of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we give like the Macedonians.
1: Amen. Now I, think, I think I may have seen from my perspective that the plates were already passed. Is that true? I think that they, they thought that the last song was, was when to pass the plate, but that's everything that PT said, that Pastor Ted just said, is still true. So we receive that by faith. Let's stand to our feet and sing. Sing that last part again by thine own eternal spirit, just our voices. done that for us in Christ, that Christ has come, that he was born, that he died, and that he rose, and he sits at your right hand. And because of your grace, through faith in Christ, we are seated with him at your right hand in the heavenly places. You have raised us in Christ to new life and raised us to your side in him. And so we are in your presence right now, through faith in Christ. We worship in your presence. We give in your presence. We give our lives. We give everything that is yours. You have bought us with a price. We are not our own. So take our worship, Lord, and take our offerings. And we pray that you would take our lives and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
7: God's providence is uh, always perfect. I've just received two phone calls that a burglary may be in process at our house. (laughs) And the police are there. And, uh, Maya, did you call uh, Bill Jaggers? Can you call him, please? Thank you. Sorry about that. If you guys would pray that that's not the case, that hopefully a door blew open or something. But the motion detector went off also. Uh, Please turn your copy of God's Word, either in book form or on your phone, to 1 John. We'll be reading from 1 John 5 through 10. If you're reading from uh, one of the Bibles in the back, it's page 1021. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10, or you can follow behind me. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of God. Amen.
8: Well, before we get into the sermon, let's pause. Let's pray for Eric's situation and uh, ask the Lord to intervene. Father, we do um, recognize your providence. If this is, in fact, the case, um, we do pray that if there is theft going on or a robbery taking place, we pray that you would change the heart of the people who are trying to do that and that you would direct them out of the home. Um, we know that you're powerful enough to convict in the moment, um, and we pray that that would be the case. And if not, if it's just something else, um, we pray that you would, um, you would bring justice to this situation and... We commit ourselves into your care. You're the only one who can uh, defend us and protect us. Uh, we are not safe. We are very vulnerable people, uh, even as this text reveals, and as the as the as the Christmas season reveals, we are a, we are a vulnerable people. So we pray that you would draw near and help us now in this time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a three part Christmas series right now, and this is sermon number two. We're looking at the first chapter, and we'll look at the beginning of the second chapter on Christmas Eve, but we're going to finish up the first chapter of 1 John this morning, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. I've called this uh, brief Christmas series Christmas in Three Words, and so we're looking at three different words that summarize the essence of Christmas. Last week, we talked about Christmas is historical that it's not a myth, it's not just a nice story like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus, or something like that. It's, it's actual historical events that have taken place. John, the writer of this letter and the writer of the Gospel of John, was Jesus' closest friend, and he's relaying to us what he actually saw, what he actually experienced in walking with Jesus for three years. And we saw who Jesus really is, that he's not so, like our culture makes him out to be, a hundred different versions of a good person, but rather he is the living Son of God, eternal, who was with God in the beginning and became manifest in time to die and rise for us and for our salvation. So this morning we're going to look at a second word, and it's in these five verses here in 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and the word is essential. Christmas is essential. It is necessary. If it doesn't happen, we don't have and cannot have eternal fellowship with God. Over last week we talked about fellowship with God. We see it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that John is proclaiming to us these things so that we too may have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And unless Jesus comes, unless He becomes a human being, takes on human form, and lives in our place, and dies in our place... And rises in our place, we will have no hope of fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have no hope of eternal life. So this morning I want to look at three points in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. We're going to look at one big problem. We're going to look at two bad responses to that one big problem. And three great truths that help us to respond to that problem correctly. Okay, so we're going to look at one big problem, two bad responses, and then three great truths that lead us to respond to that problem correctly. Let's start with the one big problem, and it's in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. This is the message we have heard from him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That's one big problem. Why do I say that's a one big problem? The problem is not with God. I don't mean to insinuate by reading verse 5 that the problem is God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. That's a wonderful reality, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We have a perfect, holy God. Who is completely separate from sin, who is light, and in whose presence and in whose being is no darkness whatsoever. But the problem is not with God, the problem is for us, because we are not that. If God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, that cannot be our testimony. We are not light as God is light, and we are not free from darkness as God is free from darkness, and therefore, that's a problem. Do you see the problem? If we're going to have fellowship with God, we got to be like God. And we're not like God. We aren't light. We're naturally a part of the darkness. So here's the problem God desires fellowship with us, verse 4, but he is light and we are not. A couple of verses on that. Back at chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes, talking about God's eyes, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. That's a problem for us. God's eyes are too pure to look on evil, which our lives contain, and you cannot tolerate wrong. So that means God cannot tolerate us Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5 You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With the wicked, you cannot dwell. Cannot, cannot, cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. And according to the Bible, that's all of us. The Bible teaches that all of us, deep down in the core of our souls, are wicked and evil. And we are wrong. We are broken. We are sinful. One more, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. This is our problem. This is why Christmas is, first of all, an indictment before it's an announcement. The necessity of Christmas, the necessity of a Savior being born, means that without Him, we're in trouble with God. Because God is light, and in Him, there is no darkness at all. So if Christmas doesn't happen, if Christ isn't born, then the fellowship that God desires with us cannot happen. Because he's a God who cannot tolerate wrong, with whom the wicked cannot dwell, and with whom sinners cannot be in fellowship. So, that's our one big problem. Number two, let's talk about two bad responses. There's a couple of different ways that we can respond to this problem, which this text alludes to, which would be very bad responses, counterproductive responses. If we want to have fellowship with God, if we're going to enter into eternal life, then that has to be on God's terms, not on our terms. And so I want to show you two bad responses that come on our terms that God will not receive and that we cannot use as a means to getting back into fellowship with God. So in verses 6 through 10, John discusses the effects of sin on our relationship with God, and the strategies that people use to deal with their sin. So we're going to look at two bad ways that we deal with our sin. Here's the first bad way we deal with our sin. We deny it. We deny our sin. Look at verses 8 and verse 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is one potential bad response, which is to say to God, I'm a good person. I I don't tolerate wrong. I'm not arrogant. I'm not as you describe me to be. I'm different. I'm a lot better than other people. And in fact, the things that I do in my life that are wrong, they aren't sin. They're just mistakes. I'm just imperfect. I don't get things right. We're always learning, aren't we? We deny our sin. We say, we have not sinned. I've not sinned. I I deny that. I reject that assessment. And what's the result of doing that? Well, he says it twice. Look at verse 8 again. He says, We deceive ourselves. So the denial of sin is rooted in deception. We are deceiving ourselves by claiming we don't have sin. We are suppressing the truth in the language of Romans 1, verse 18 through 20. We're suppressing the truth, we're pushing down, we're keeping out of our knowledge our sinfulness. And he says, we have no integrity. Verse 8, the truth is not in us. Truth, truth is not in us. If the truth were in us, we would acknowledge our sin. But by denying our sin, we are manifesting the reality that the truth isn't in us, that we are deceiving ourselves, that we are living in a state of self-trickery. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, which is what denying our sin is, not only are we deceiving ourselves, but we're calling God a liar. You see that in verse 10? We make Him a liar. Why? Because God said we're sinners. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes, there is no one who does not do wrong. 1 Kings so there is no one in your sight who can claim absolute sinlessness. We're we're lying. We're calling God a liar. Saying I don't agree with you, God, I am not a sinner. Well, that just proves that we're deceptive, we're deceived. We're making God a liar and the truth in his word is not finding any place in our lives. We're rejecting his word. Question is, why? Why do we do that by nature? Why do we do that by nature? In our fallen, pre converted, non Christian condition, why do we do that? John chapter three, verse nineteen and twenty. Give us a hint. Remember John chapter three, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, religious teacher, comes and talks to him. He 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 tells him why he came. He says, For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world, that's Christmas, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then he says, verse 19, this is the judgment. This is Jesus speaking. The light has come into the world, talking about himself, Jesus, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So we could add another piece to why we deny. We not only deny because we're, we're, we not only deny because of his, his truth is not in us and his word is not in us, and his, we're deceiving ourselves, and we're making God a liar, but we also deny because we're ashamed. Deep down, we are ashamed of who we are. And coming into the light of Jesus exposes us. It exposes us to our sinfulness. It exposes us to our need for a Savior. And that's a profoundly humbling thing. It's a profoundly humbling thing. And most of us would rather stay in the darkness. I'm talking about most of humanity. Most humanity would rather stay in the darkness and keep doing wicked things under the cover of night rather than come to the light be exposed. So that's why people fundamentally deny their sin because it would require them to acknowledge something that's not very good about them. And we spend a lot of time as a culture working on image management and and taking care of making making sure we're presenting uh, a good face to the world and social media just exacerbates this. So we put our highlight reel on there and we we talk about all the good things that's going on and we you know and 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 we want people to believe that we're really something you know that we're really special and we're not as bad as the bible says we are. So we can that's the first bad response. We can deny our sin, but there's a second bad response. We can mask our sin. We can mask our sin. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him that is God, say we're a Christian while we walk in darkness. We lie and don't practice the truth. Now, this is a very scary verse in some senses. It implies that there's not just two categories of people. We like to think in extremes most of the time with people. You know, there's the deniers, the unbelievers, people who reject the gospel, and then there's those who embrace the gospel. But there's a, there's a third category of people in here between those two. These are the people that get the gospel in a certain sense, but not in a holistic sense. They get the gospel at a certain level that they're sinners, they need to have fellowship with God, but they believe it's their responsibility to save themselves from their sin. And so they go to work on making sure that they can kind of still walk in darkness and live in darkness and claim to have fellowship with God. They're hypocrites it's kind of a bipolar way of existing spiritually it says we can claim to have fellowship with god claim to be part of god's people and yet as a pattern of life habitually walk in a manner that's contrary to fellowship with god walking in sin living in sin practicing sin on a continual ongoing basis as a pattern of life it says that's not possible either we can't claim to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, and yet there are millions of professing Christians who do just that. They prayed a prayer, they walked an aisle, they signed a card, they met with a pastor, they got baptized, they joined a church. No life change. No life change. Still walking in the old way, still following the same path, and yet claiming fellowship with God. What what does John say about those people? They lie. They're liars. And they don't practice the truth. So that's a second bad response. There's two bad responses to our big problem. big problem is God is light. In Him there is no no, no darkness at all. So if we deny our sin and say we're not sinners, then that results in us not having fellowship with God. And if we want to continue to walk in darkness while claiming fellowship with God, that's not the right response either. So you can't deny it and you can't keep living in it if you want to have fellowship with God. So do either of those describe anyone among us this morning? Anyone here denying your sin? Or anyone here trying to mask your sin? Anyone here claiming to have not sinned? Anyone here claiming fellowship with God while walking in darkness? Well, such responses do not bring about fellowship with God. They bring about deception. They bring about lying to ourselves and about God. And they reveal that we don't have the truth, that his word's not in us, and that we're not practicing the truth. So those are two bad responses, denying our sin, masking our sin, and those will not get us the solution to the big problem. But let me conclude the rest of the sermon with the three great truths that will get us there, okay? Three great truths that will get us there, that will overcome the big problem and get rid of those alternative salvation paths that we try to achieve this is why christmas is essential three great truths and we're going to skip a, around a little bit then come back to first john so here's the first great truth god sends the light god is light god is light in him there is no darkness at all so how does god solve that problem he sends the light now who's the light Well, let's let John answer that question. Turn with me back to John's gospel. We're in John's letter, his first letter. And now we're going to turn back to his gospel, the gospel of John, in chapter 1. Famous Christmas text, appropriately so. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, that's exactly what John said last week to us in the the beginning of his first letter. Verse 3 All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4 In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's good news. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. We need light. We need, the, we need to be men and women of light. We need to have light come to us. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is going to be an invincible salvation project to rescue people from walking in darkness. And bringing light to them, since they themselves cannot be the light they need to be. Look at verse 8. He was not the light. Talking about John the Baptist. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, his light. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that 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 word, Jesus being full of grace and truth, should strike us with hope. Why do I say that? Because how did John, in his in these few verses we were just looking at, describe us? Are we full of grace and truth? No, we're full of deception and lies. And Jesus comes full of grace and truth as the light to bring life and that life to become the light of men. So God sends the light. John 8, 12. This is Jesus' own testimony. Unless we just think John is speaking to him about it. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you get it? So it says he was the light of life in John 1, 3 and 4. And then he says in John 8, 12 that he came so that we would have the light of life. And how do we get the light of life? By following the light of the world. By giving lordship of our lives over to Jesus and following him. John 12, 46, Jesus said again, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So how do we get out of darkness? How do we not remain in darkness? We believe in the light of the world. So that's how God sends the light. This is the first hope of our redemption. This is the first hope of getting out from under our big problem of God being light and we being darkness. And God having no darkness and we having lots of darkness. How can we have fellowship together? Well, first step is God sends the light. To become the light of men. Second step, we believe and we become sons of light. John chapter 12 verse 36 again. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it glorious that we can become sons of light? We can become the light of men. We can achieve a status free from darkness. We don't have to remain in darkness or live in darkness or walk in darkness. We can become a completely new person, a son of light. How do we get there? Believe in the light. Believe in Jesus. He's the light of the world. Follow him. He'll bring you out of darkness. And notice, Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light. You know what we're experiencing right now in this 2,000-year history since the first coming of Jesus This is a window of time where you can get in on the light. He's coming again, and the light switch will be turned off. No more access. Electricity in the building has been shut down. Don't try to put anything in the plug. It won't work. Now is the season to become a son of light. Now is the season to follow Jesus. So the first step is God sends the light. The second is we believe and we become sons of light. And here's the third step. We live in the light. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Turn with me there, please. Ephesians chapter 5, or look it up on your phone if you're a modern American. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. We've been through this letter in recent years and... Notice what Paul says about walking in the light. Let's start back a little bit further because it begins to describe our darkness and the things we've been rescued from through Jesus. Verse 7, we'll start at verse 7. Therefore do not become partners with them, that is the sons of disobedience who walk in darkness. Unbelievers. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. That's all of our testimony, right? Right? That's all of us. We all can stand up. Since the vast majority of you um, follow Jesus and love Jesus and are Christian, you could stand up and say, that's my testimony. I once was darkness. I was darkness. But here's now my testimony, verse 8. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, that's the good news of Christianity. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. See, every other world religion was come and say, okay, you want to be pure, you want to be light, you better start living that way, and then you'll become that. But that's not what Christianity does. Christianity comes, Jesus comes, and gives us, confers on us a status. He says, you are light. You've followed me, you believe in me, you are light. Now live like it. Now live like it. It's not... If you want to be light, well, you better get your act together. Better start cleaning up your darkness. Better start working on your sin. Otherwise, you can't be light. No, he says, if you come into gracious fellowship with me, if you follow me, you know what happens? You don't remain in darkness anymore. You're not in the darkness. You're not of the darkness. You're of the light. You became a son of light when you believed in me. And therefore, don't live like that anymore. Walk as a child of light, verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. See, instead of being fearful that you're exposed, we've already get, we get exposed. We've already been exposed. When Jesus came into the world, we were exposed as darkness in need of light. But now we don't partake of the unfruitful works of darkness, rather we expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So let's go back to 1 John now and talk about what it means to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? So we've just a, just a quick review, hanging with me here. We got one big problem. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and there's two bad responses to that. Deny it or mask it. Deny it by saying I'm not a sinner or mask it by saying I can have Darkness and fellowship with God. I can walk in darkness and I can be a Christian. No, 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 no. Walking in darkness as a pattern of life reveals that you're not following Jesus. But you may think, well, does that mean that we don't sin? That's what John's going to talk about right here. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to live as a son of light? What does it mean to be the light of men? Look at verse 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin unrighteousness. Now think about this. Walking in the light does not mean we're sinless. Did you see that? Sinless people don't need to confess their sins. Sinless people don't need to acknowledge that they need the blood of Jesus to cleanse them from their sins. But that's what John says it means to walk in the light as we confess our sins. And we ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from our sins. So walking in the light emphatically does not mean we are sinless. It means that we acknowledge when we do. That's what it means to walk in the light. So if you think here, well, okay, God sends the light. We believe and we become sons of light. And then we live as children of light. That means we're sinless. No, no. That's not right. It's not true. We do still sin, but we don't walk in it. We don't live in it. We don't make as a practice to go on in an unconfessed condition where we're not confessing our sins to God and we're not acknowledging when we've sinned to Him. No, walking in the light means that we bring our darkness all the time to Him. That's what it means to walk in the light. See, when we become sons of light, we still have residual darkness in us. And so the, for the rest of our lives, we are committing ourselves to bring our darkness to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. We don't hide it. We don't deny it. We don't mask it. We bring it to Jesus. And that's what it means to walk in the light. Notice again, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's possible. That's possible. To walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now that's interesting. A church can only have good fellowship to the degree that its members are committed to walking in the light. What breaks fellowship is members walking in darkness. Or at least going into darkness for a period of time. But if we will all walk in the light, which means we will all confess our sins, we will all hold fast to Jesus to cleanse us from our sins, then we will have fellowship with each other. Because guess what? The church is built on fellowship around our need for Jesus. You understand that? That's why you can't have fellowship. If you're going to deny your sin or mask your sin, what's our fellowship based on? That we're a lot alike? That we get along? No, we're fellowshipping around the fact that Jesus is a great Savior and we're a great sinner. That's what all of our fellowship is about. So if one of us starts, or two of us, or three of us, or a group of us starts denying our sin or masking our sin, it wars against the fellowship we can have. Because we're all getting here together every Sunday and say, Jesus is great. Jesus saves sinners. I'm one of them. So walking in the light does not mean, does not mean, does not mean we are sinless. It means that we acknowledge our sin when we do sin. And so the result is, look at, look at the glorious results of this. We have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, all sin. And verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me conclude here. Because this is the good news of the gospel. This is why Christmas happened. Okay, remember Matthew chapter 1 when we read about the coming of Jesus and we, we, we're, we're, we're told why he's called Jesus. Why is he called Jesus? Because his name means the Lord saves. Saves from what? Matthew tells us in Matthew 1.21. shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus came to save us from our sin, that is by dying for it under the wrath of God, cloaked in our darkness and absorbed in his body on the cross the punishment that we deserve for our sin so that when we turn from our sin and trust ourselves to him, we become sons of light and we are freed from our sin debt. And the power of sin is broken in our lives. So you notice in verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive. But notice there's another word there that's very important for us to consider. And you may not have ever thought about it before, but it's important to think about. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. What does that mean? Well, I mean, we get the faithfulness part, right? I mean, God's good. He's faithful. He's always going to cleanse us. He's always going to forgive us. But justice is important here. He says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, just, righteous, right to do it. And you might ask, okay, this, 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 does, this, this, is, uh, this is a mystery to me. And this is why I don't understand God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. How does Jesus coming and inviting people to come to him all of a sudden get us back into fellowship with God? How's that right? Does that make sense? See, uh, you won't really get the gospel at a deep level unless you see it first as a problem. Like, the problem that the gospel solves is a problem with the justice of God. That's what the gospel does. See, for God to just invite Dark people into his fellowship is a problem. That's unjust. See, millions of people don't even think about this way because they all almost universally think that God owes us forgiveness. He made us, didn't he? Of course, he owes it to us because we're entitled. But that's not the way the Bible thinks. And God doesn't owe us anything except to punish us for our sins, which is his just requirement and his righteous desire. But notice here it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. How is he just? Because Christ paid for our sin. Because Christ absorbed our sin. Because Christ in his death on the cross took God's wrath against our sin. Therefore, he can be now just and the justifier in the language of Romans 3 of those who have faith in Jesus. That's why. And that's good news. That's good news. See, it's not just the faithfulness that's good news. It's also the justice. See, because now in Christ, God's justice is on our side to keep forgiving and cleansing. We can appeal, say, God, thank you that in Christ Jesus, you are justified in forgiving my sin. It's not a problem for you to forgive my sin because Christ has died for all of it. His blood is cleansed from every sin. He can cleanse me from all unrighteousness because God is just now to take care of it. And we should praise him for that. We should praise him that, God, you are now not only faithful, but you are just to forgive us. Which means God will never turn you away. He never has to turn you away. There's nothing in him that would dispose him to turn away a repentant sinner at all. Even those of us who are Christians and are ongoing in need of repentance and forgiveness. When you go to God with your sin, when you confess your sins to him, you're not meeting someone who's scowling at you, who's like, "Okay, I'll, I mean, how much are you going to require of me?" You know, it's ongoing. I'm paying your debt all the time. No, he's just to do it. And this verse gives us great encouragement that he will cleanse us from all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing outside that purview. There's nothing that He won't forgive. So let me conclude. How does this strike you? Doesn't, it, doesn't a response these three great truths of God sending the light, of we believing and becoming sons of light, of we walking in the light by going on confessing our sins, Isn't that a much better solution than the other two? Isn't that much better? I mean, those bad responses of denying your sin and masking your sin, that is a crippling, sad existence. It's a really sad existence to have to mask your sin or to have to deny your sin. But to own up your sin and to acknowledge your sin is freedom because in it we receive the complete pardon and cleansing from our sins. God will never ever, ever, ever hold our sin against us. But this is why Christmas is essential. Because if we don't come to him and we don't receive him, God has no choice but to hold our sin against us. But the good news is that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to consider um, the great solution that you have given to our deepest problem. We know that by nature we are darkness. We know that by nature we deny it, and we try to mask it. But we thank you that in Jesus we are set free from that futile pursuit, and we are enabled to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness for our sins, and to know that in doing so you forgive us and you cleanse us, from all sin and all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for sending your light into the world. Thank you, Jesus, for being that light and for calling us to yourself and that by following you as the light of the world, we become sons of light. And we are now made the light of life in the Lord. And so we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that calling. And we pray that you would help us this Christmas season and every season the rest of our lives to live as children of light, to walk in the light as you were in the light. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
1: You know, we were only planning on doing verse 1 and verse 4 of this song, but since we got done a little early today, we have some extra time. I hope you don't object if we just sing the whole thing again. Sing, come, thou long expected Jesus.
2: Sing with us, come. those. One, two.
8: Um, A few announcements. Um, Midweek meeting this Wednesday, 5.30, is the meal. We're having soups, I believe. And then after that, 6.15 to 7.30, uh, the Heritage Kids will be doing their Christmas party this Wednesday night. And we'll also be doing our prayer meeting as well as watching a live stream of the Behold the Lamb of God concert. So watch your email. Get more information out to you before Wednesday about that. Um, Also, Friday, there's a youth event, Shoppers in Disguise uh, Youth you have questions about that or parents, you can see uh, Thad about that. Um, speaking of that and Keith, their ordination, like Pastor Ted mentioned, is next Sunday morning. So I know somebody, I got a couple questions about whether or not that's going to be in the evening. It's not in the evening. It's part of the morning service. Um, it'll be uh, during the morning, not during the, the evening on December 17th, next Sunday morning. Pastor Ted will be preaching. And then also uh, Christmas candlelight service, December 24th, that'll be in the evening at 5 p.m. And we will have a morning service as well so that candlelight service in the evening does not replace uh, Sunday school and morning worship uh, for those of you who might have been wondering that so let me leave you with this uh, good news from our uh, text that we read this morning from John 8 verse 12 again Jesus spoke to them saying I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life Go out of here and let's follow him.